Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira squaring off in the tunnel at Highbury. Ryan Giggs' iconic bare-chested celebration in the FA Cup semi-final replay. Martin Keown's infamous clash with Ruud van Nistelrooy in the Battle of Old Trafford. For a period of time, Manchester United and Arsenal was the hottest ticket in town and tempestuous rivalry between the perennial powerhouses of the Premier League. But those days are gone. And today, the fixture no longer holds the same intrigue as in season. Seasons past, and I'm here with my man Jimmy Conrad to look ahead to Thursday's meeting between the sides and discuss whether this game can ever recapture its former glory. Giggle Lasso, Manchester United Arsenal preview, and so much more begins right now. Welcome to Kigo Lasso. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are on YouTube, if you didn't know that already. And we are so close, Jimmy Conrad, to 6,000 subscribers. Wow. How good is that, my friend? Yeah, it's fantastic. I did want to mention, though, when you said Ryan Giggs showing his bare-chested, you know, <laughs> celebration. Like, the guy's not bare-chested. He's got, he's, he's like a Sasquatch. Boots. Yeah, it's like chest hair upon chest hair upon chest hair. And that's the vision that I have of this guy going, I, I, he's, I know he's twirling his jersey around. It's an amazing goal, but God damn, look at that chest hair. It's insane. It's like a forest. The hairiest Welshman ever. <laughs> Absolutely. It was massive. But uh, we're so close to 6,000, and uh, Jimmy Conrad is a major reason for that. So please make sure that you... You know, subscribe, spread the word. We're also on Twitter, Gigolasso Pod. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, so much more. We just keep growing over here, and it's because of you. So please keep spreading the word. Right then, Jimmy, uh, you are here with me today because we're going to discuss Manchester United Arsenal. Obviously, we will get into the game itself. It has some major implications for this season, but it was a good idea, I think, uh, we thought over here at Gigolasso to kind of discuss the game itself, this fixture itself, and historically what it's meant, especially if you're a young listener or viewer, you may not know that, you know, especially at the beginning of the Premier League, this was it. Manchester United or Arsenal uh, was, a, was a massive, a massive game. And I kind of want to pick up, Jimmy, from that convo that we had, you, myself, Ian, on HQ, when we were previewing Manchester United um, against Villarreal in the Champions League, and how... You know, my whole thing was that United's obsession with the past, right? And how it's kind of damaging their present. And then when you think about it, Arsenal kind of have been dealing with the the same thing. And it's probably one reason, perhaps, of many of why they can't crack, right? Right now, uh, you know, the Man Cities or the Chelsea's or the Liverpool. So I wanted, first of all, we, we're going to go down memory lane a little bit, uh, Jimmy and I, and we're going to talk about both teams. Uh, and so we're going to begin with Manchester United just what they meant specifically from the beginning of the Premier League and what, what what they're going through right now, right? As Ralph Rangnick, of course, comes in. So, Jimmy, I wanted your thoughts on on United. You said some really good points in HQ, specifically about, like, nobody really knows what the lineup is, et cetera. But it's really, let's go back a little bit to what United meant 
especially in the 90s and how tremendous Goliath grew and kind of set the set the president for for what was to come. Yeah, I don't think you can start that conversation without bringing up Sir Alex Ferguson first. I think he really set the tone and set the bar for what was expected from the club and not only domestically, but also from a European perspective. I have read plenty about Sir Alex. I've read some books. I saw the documentary and and just his ability to grow and learn and be exposed to a different style of play, whether it was the mid AC Milan, mid nineties, AC Milan teams or whatever it was and try to take little things and see how he can apply that to, to the team that he's trying to build as well and doing it consistently. I think if anything we can look at with regard to Sir Alex is that consistency for excellence. And uh, I think that permeated in every area of the club. And when he left, it was going to be a massive hole. And if we do quickly compare it to Arsenal, same thing happened with Arsene Wenger. Those guys were institutions, and they built this culture over many, many years. And so when that starts to dissipate, or in Arsene Wenger's case, we can get into that in a little bit. Really sad how the fans treated him on the way out. But with regard to Sir Alex, he still casts a very large shadow over that club. And I don't think it helps that he sits in the stands every single game. We, we I, For me, I'm like, just put the guy on the sideline. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's got ideas. Maybe he doesn't have to give everybody the, you know, the hair blower or hair dryer treatment, you know, if they're not playing well, you can leave that to, you know, your first team coaches, but he still has ideas. He still knows how the game should be played. I mean, obviously he was like fantastic man manager. And I, I just feel like that still looms large, his presence. And, and let's, let's, and now that sounds kind of generic, but even with regard to Cristiano Ronaldo, it was the call from Sir Alex Ferguson that got Ronaldo to not want to go to city to come to United and to say, Hey, listen, you're a club legend. Don't do it. But now United gets saddled with one of the greatest to ever do it, no question. But I don't think they were building for him for the future. They, they were trying to, they just spent a ton of money on Jaden Sancho. And it seemed to go counter to that because now you have to build around this guy. Just similarly to Zlatan, you have to build around these guys. Is it a bad thing? They're going to score you some goals. They're going to be match winners. I don't know. It kind of depends. But when you sign a Ronaldo, when you sign a Varane, and I heard Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher talking about this recently. You're signing these older guys to win now. It's not four years from now. The, the Greenwoods, the Sanchos, that's like we're building towards something. That, and that When that starts to mature, then we're going to be very good for a long period of time. But right now, it seems kind of stifled because you got some of these older guys that you have to build around. Otherwise, why did you sign them in the first place? No, absolutely right. Sorry, so really, I took that in a completely different direction, by the way. No, no. <laughs> listen, it's all part of the ingredient of what we're trying to get to. And you, you said uh, some operative words there. Win now. That was Manchester United in the 90s. It didn't matter how you played. It didn't matter if you were down. In fact, being down in a game uh, almost seemed like the inevitable was about to happen. Manchester United would somehow turn it around. You, Sir Alex Ferguson is obviously the absolute key. But then the players that he brought in and the focus on the academy as well, the Neville brothers, of course, you know, uh, David Beckham, et cetera, Paul Scholes, Nicky Budd, all these people. I mean, I'm looking at some names here. The 95-96, by the way, Premier League and FA Cup winners that included Cantona and Andy Cole, Ryan Giggs, uh, Pallister, Steve Bruce, Peter Schmeichel was there already. The 99 treble winners as well. And then we go even further on, 2006, 2007, with uh, Louis Saha, Wayne Rooney, Giggs, Skull still, Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously, Patrice Evra. The treble winning years, as I mentioned. And you keep going. And it's just such a fortitude. And no matter who it was wearing the Red Devil shirt, it was, we are winning no matter what. And to your point, the shadow about Sir Alex Ferguson 
kind of cast that concept. And it's even harder when you're a former player mm-hmm. of Sir Alex Ferguson and you have to manage this club. And that, to me, is a massive thing. So if we just make the uh, turn here on Arsenal, because Arsenal, I'm thinking about them, and they have similar issues. You mentioned Arsene Wenger and the way he was perhaps treated towards the end, but he, like you said, set an institution. You know, the Invincibles, by the way, is no easy feat. It was a ridiculous achievement. And, you know, so let's talk a little bit about Arsenal as well and how they became, you know, obviously Liverpool as well, but they became a massive antithesis to Manchester United as well. They wanted to be there you know, the Lex Luthor to the, the Superman or even the other way around. How did you see Arsenal as well, specifically when you focus about their own past? Yeah, good question. I should have said this before I started with Man United because I think it does bring some context to a couple things happening all at once. With Sir Alex Ferguson leaving his role as manager, with Arsene Wenger essentially being forced out, I think, in my humble opinion, he not really leaving on his own, right? It just felt like he got his hand forced, and we'll get into that in a second. But with those two stepping out, it was also around the same time of the emergence of a lot of, uh, let's say, foreign money coming into the Premier League. So Chelsea yeah. starts to emerge in a more meaningful That's way, the right? That's point. Roman Abramovich coming into the Premier League. Uh, there, yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, I think, with Abramovich coming in. And then you got Man City. When they get their money, they start to become a, a powerful force. And now, just I say, what, last five, six years, did Liverpool start to kind of refine themselves and, and have obviously had tremendous success in the last couple of years. And then, and then obviously Tottenham, whether you think about Tottenham, they were still, when I bring them in, they were still part of that top six. And, and yes, we can still laugh at them in a lot of different ways. And I'm sure yeah, everybody wants them to cry more because they're never going to win anything. But but then you have you have the Leicester cities, right? All of a sudden there was a down year and, and Man United nor Arsenal could capture the title when everybody else was having a bit of a down year. But Leicester City comes out of nowhere. So you have these kind of one-off teams. You know, you have West Ham that's kind of going through a, a kind of similar renaissance. Aston Villa obviously pushing to get in the conversation. So, and Everton kind of floating around. So it's become a lot more competitive. And it, it's not necessarily about Man United and Arsenal all the time. And what I find that to be interesting and why I think it's important context is because if you were a foreign player that wanted to play in the Premier League and you were world-class, considered world-class, you were only thinking about United or Arsenal. You weren't really thinking about... Hey, I'm going to go help Man City turn things around. Yeah. Very similar to right. what Newcastle is going to go through now. Yeah, they, they might have a lot of money, but... It was yeah, the royalty was, of the Premier League, yeah. 100%. They had the history. They had the the recent... this recency bias, right? They're winning the trophies. They're the ones that are playing the most exciting matches. And I know we'll get into some of our favorites in the past. And, and all of that, I think, plays into it. So now, let's fast forward, or at least look into Arsenal and their past. You know, they they under George Graham, they they had success. You know, he's he was the guy that really amongst other people along the way. But uh, I really feel like put the flag in the ground that Arsenal were going to be a top club. And Arsenal yeah, the consensus came in and- with George Graham was always like one nothing to Arsenal, but there was win, <laughs> but it was always one nil. Right. That's right. Go ahead. Keep going. No, no, no. And and it's it's interesting. Arsene Wenger comes in and after spending some time at Monaco and I feel like he kind of had a Jurgen Klopp type vibe, you know, like he'd had some success, but he's a bit of a foreigner. And do we want foreign concepts in the Premier League? This is at a time where foreign managers were still a relatively new concept in, in the Premier League when he comes over. And I remember Alex Ferguson saying this about Arsene Wenger in 97. He said, he has no experience of English football. He has come from Japan. That's right. He was in Japan. And now he's telling us how to organize our football. Unless you have been in the situation and had the experience and he should keep his mouth shut firmly shut. Alex Ferguson said that about Arsene Wenger in 1997 when he first came into the league. 
and, and it's very cool. And I'm actually very proud of Arsene Wenger for proving Sir Alex wrong. And they've had some great rivalries over the years and some great games. But but I find that that mentality from Sir Alex very interesting. And not that Klopp maybe faced the same type of style, but I know Pep did, right? Ah, oh, Tiki Taka will never work. You know, I mean, there's always some haters uh, and gatekeepers that want to keep things the way that they are. And I think Arsene yeah. Wenger did a great job of kind of changing that and, and implementing more foreign-based players to really change how this game could be played in the Premier League. And we can name about probably 15 guys that have come in to make a big difference under Arsene Wenger, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, to name a few, Patrick Vieira, of course. So I really love what Arsene Wenger did with the team. And, and obviously the Invincible season was fantastic. And you know, getting to a Champions League final in 06, a little unlucky in that one, uh, losing to Barcelona. But you know they, they were there and they were always there under Arsene Wenger until they weren't. And I think it was around the time where the emergence of all that other money came in and it just was harder for them to compete on a more regular basis. And for the longest time, the meme was them finishing in fourth. And now they would love to finish in fourth. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of how far things have have fallen for the club. And and uh, I think it's going to take a while to to regain that consistency for a couple of these clubs that are in, in Man United's in there as well. Where they're, they're just hoping to get in top four. And that just feels like it doesn't jive well with and mesh well with their history, and I, or at least in the last 25, 30 years. And I think that's the hardest problem for a lot of these fans, who I thought actually treated Arsene Wenger very poorly at the end of his tenure. Yeah, the goldfish memory for a football fan is always uh, an issue, of course, uh, some good points. And we're going to get into that top four conversation in a second. But just a quick thing on on Arsenal, by the way, is also, you know, as much as we talk as Roman Abramovich coming in for Chelsea and then that's sort of catapulting itself into other clubs like Man City, et cetera, saying, well, we need to buy big, spend big. It's also about Stan Kroenke and what he's mm -hmm. done as well mm -hmm. with his ownership at the Emirates. Has he put enough effort? Definitely not from the very beginning, right? You know, uh, relying on the family to really just take care of things while he of his course is focusing much on uh, on american sports and everything i did want to just quickly mention on on something you talked about which is how when arson banger came into i remember so well i grew up in england i just I, he implemented something that you said that's very very important for a long time i mean it was a short beginning of the premier league anyway but uh, the consensus was premier league is for england for britain and we're gonna keep it sort of, uh, you know, uh, very British, uh, you know, Steven Gerrard cross the pitch kind of uh, mentality sort of thing. I mean, I grew up I grew up there, so you can't tell me shit, anybody, okay? <laughs> when Wenger came in, not only did he introduce a different way of thinking, right? But he also helped, I mean, listen, Thierry was always going to be a star. He was a winger at Juventus that was really struggling, okay? He brought him in. And he transformed them into arguably the greatest player the Premier League has ever seen. That's not necessarily everything down to Wenger, but Wenger definitely was a major factor. And that's what you saw with this invincible side. And then it became a perfect mix of English talent and international one. Ashley Cole, Martin Keown, mm -hmm. uh, Pascal Sigan was in the Gal Clichy, Sol Campbell, Cole Toure, of course. You know, just such a perfect balance of what they were. And then that almost became eventually the you know the heights of what Arsenal could be and once Wenger left just like Sir Alex Ferguson Arsenal struggled to try and redefine their identity um so let's move on to the top four which is what you well, talked well, about really quick I have yeah. to jump in here because and I'm not trying to defend the Cronkies I don't think they've necessarily run the business very well from a sporting side I will say that they're probably making a, a crap ton of money but when I look back I'm looking at the transfer history 
And they spend they spend money on players. It's just I think the big argument is is it are you spending the money on the right players? Is it Edu then? Is it distorting their somebody has to be? I mean, that that's where it falls into me. I mean, they just paid 64 million for Ben White. I mean, this is recent. Odegaard, 38 million. I mean, this is dollars and not pounds. Ramsdale, they paid 30 million. Everybody was killing them for that. Ramsdale is going to turn out to be the number one for England, in my humble opinion. In the oh, 100 percent Thomas Partey, they paid 55 million dollars for him. Gabriel was close to 30. Uh, Nicola Pepe was close to $90 million. Now, yeah, I mean, the, I think part of it is also just the nature of the the, the business now, right? Like, you, you yeah. talk, even, even five like years ago, that's money. insane. Again, I don't want to defend the Cronkies. I still feel like they're not the right mix for this. However, they spent $70 million on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, almost $60 million on Lacazette. Are they spending the money on the right guys? It's also that's, the, that's, the, that's, the That's the big question. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and obviously they yeah. had some turnover. Unai Emery... You know, you're taking some chances on managerial stuff. Man United's going through the same thing. Post Wenger, post Sir Alex Ferguson, have you brought in the right guys to actually maintain or, or rebuild what was already previously there? And I just don't know if that's possible, given exactly. all the other mitigating factors that are out there. The emergence exactly. of other teams, the, the amount of money that's out there. And you got to get everything right to establish a team that's going to be that dominant for that long of a period of time. And I don't think Man United and Arsenal are going, oh, we're going to spend the same money as Man City. We're just not going to do it. And so no, okay, gonna, if you're not going to do that, you're going to find that right balance. We're literally getting into that topic right now, but it's a very good point. And that's why we're talking about this, everybody, because they are there, there's many similarities to Jimmy's point. Our producer, Des Norris, uh, aptly mentions uh, selling Robin Van Persie to mm. Manchester United. It was a landmark moment as well. All right, so let's talk about this top four thing, by the way, because from 96-97 season, to 2013-2014 when United finished seventh, which was just like absolutely unexplainable to, to fans who grew up in the 90s, of course. But from that time, from 96-97, 2013-14, both clubs enjoyed uninterrupted runs as top four. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Since finishing second in 2015-2016, Arsenal have not had a top four finish. Now, 2015-2016, you may think it's not that Long ago, but it is for a club like Arsenal to not be in the top four for that long. So the question, first of all, to you is this, right? We've talked about this before. Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, that's the royalty right now of the Premier yes, League. That, yes. that's, that's the point. So which team, Arsenal or United, are closest to cracking that fourth? Yeah, I mean, when you look at... United and the fact that they finished second last year and they got to a Europa League final and only lost in penalties, whatever you want to say about how they played their tactics, different conversation, but we can sit here and say they got to a Europa League final and, and deserved to get to that Europa League final and didn't have enough to, to see it out in, in penalties. And, and they were in that close. Though, was remarkable. And in second, close. Was great. yeah, 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 that close to, to winning being Europa League champions and, yeah. and maybe not that close to winning the league. And we could argue that Liverpool were, and well, we know that they were decimated by injuries. Chelsea had that mid-season managerial change. We're focused a little bit more on the Champions League, eked into getting four, thanks to Leicester City falling apart. And and you just had these other teams that are kind of having an off year. So maybe it's a bit naive to think that Man United were the out-and-out second-best team in England last year. But we have that. Those are facts. And then you add Cristiano Ronaldo, you add Jadon Sancho, you add Rafael Varane, and you think this team should do better than they did last year, or at least be closer to first because of the pieces they added and because of that year of experience of playing in some meaningful games and, and having that core of players that will probably come back. 
and they look more off of it this season than they did last year. For They're eight. Reason. They're, They're eight. They're actually closer to the relegation zone than they are to the top of the table. Yeah, which is hilarious. And then with Arsenal, what I think they're actually been very good at this season in particular is beating the teams that they should or or beating the teams that are, I guess, maybe in a little bit in their category where they're not maybe good enough to be in the top four yet. But And I feel like Arsenal's been good. Their, their big losses are against Chelsea, 2-0. They lost to Man City, 5-0. And they lost to Liverpool, 4-0. So the three big teams that you're talking about, they have given up 11 goals and scored zero. They've got a while, I think, to crack into that top three and, and to start taking points off of them regularly. But but funnily enough, else, to your point, Arsenal are fifth with 23 points. Uh, amazingly, only five off Liverpool, six off Manchester City, obviously, if you're listening to this, watching this after the game today. So, you know, it's weird because, yes, you think, well, Manchester United did last season, but they're eighth to Arsenal, what they're doing, what they did last season, but they're fifth right now. So... Who would be if I if I put a gun to I, I would say Arsenal because yeah. I think that they have already established very very uh, quickly. They're well, I don't say quickly because that the Arsenal <laughs> fans are like, come on, and take it. It took us a long at, time to figure out at, this best at eleven a, at a solid pace. <laughs> but 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 they've gotten to a point I think a little bit quicker where Ramsdale's our guy now. Okay, we figured it out. Ramsdale's our guy, best English keeper in. Absolutely. I agree. To- Tomiyasu, great signing. Fantastic. He's going to lock down the right back. Ben yeah. White went healthy, and Gabriel are the best center back pairings. And then they got Nuno Tavares or, or Tierney out left. It's been, it's been solved. What I think has been interesting is Granit Xhaka hasn't been in the team because he's been hurt mm-hmm. with that knee injury. And, and you have, I think, Lakonga was a very smart signing. And him and Thomas Partey, when he's healthy, are very good double pivot. I love mm-hmm. that. Then you got these younger guys. Martinelli, obviously, can go out there and do the business and win a game by himself. You got Emil Smith-Rowe. You got Saka, who finished sixth in the Young Ballon d'Or, the Young Player Ballon d'Or Award. And, and he just scored against Newcastle. And so you got him, and you got Odegaard, which is a good signing. And then you got these Pepe, Lacazette, Obama Yang, who they just got a nice balance. And I feel like Arteta's starting to finally get into that groove of, I know my best 11. Let's look at the dumpster fire known as Manchester United. And as I mentioned on HQ, and you brought it up, I think you could ask every single player, at least let's say the top five guys on the team, what do you think our best 11 is and what's our best formation? And they would all give you five different answers. And I think that really speaks to where they're not going in that same direction as Arsenal. And I just feel like because of that, there'll be some more ups and downs. Will Man United take points off of Chelsea at Stanford Bridge? Yeah. But will they also lose to Brentford or Watford? Or Yes, they will because they're just so inconsistent. Whereas I feel like we're starting to see a little bit more consistency with Arsenal. Okay. We'll raise our hand. We're not good enough to compete with the big teams yet, but we are doing a very good job of beating everybody else. And I think that will lend itself to finishing in the top four when you take the points that you should. Yeah, one club knows better who they are as opposed to the other one. Does Ralph Rangnick help that a little bit, even though he's an interim? I do think he helps it. I think he'll probably bring some steadiness and an idea of how the team should play. He is a master of high pressing, and I just don't think this Man United team is built to high press, at least with the big elephant in the room, Cristiano Ronaldo, in your squad. And I think that's going to be a big part of our conversation in a little bit. Well, we will talk specifically about the game on Thursday. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Thursday's preview as uh, United and Arsenal face each other, key matchups. But this is Michael Carrick, by the way, still in charge against Mikel Arteta. Amazing. Two center midfielders. 
against each other as well. A new dawn in Manchester United, but also Arsenal still looking to climb up that table. Kego Lasso, United Arsenal. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Manchester United Arsenal. Um, this is a big game uh, with major implications for both teams. Of course, as we mentioned here with Jimmy Conrad, Arsenal in fifth, uh, 23 points, and Manchester United eighth with 18 points. And to Jimmy's point, United are staring more down below than uh, reaching higher up. So a few stats here, and I'm sure Jimmy has his own as well, but United are winless in their last six Premier League games uh, with Arsenal. They've never gone seven league games without a win against the Gunners. Mm -hmm. Um, Arsenal have kept a clean sheet in each of their last three meetings with United in all competitions. Uh, United have uh, lost just two of their 14 Premier League matches on a Thursday. On a Thursday, they oh, win eight, they drew four. With those defeats coming uh, at Middlesbrough in December 2002 and at home to Liverpool in May of last season. So Thursday's good for United. So this is a few stats there for you, Jimmy, but let's talk about this game. You go wherever you want, man. I mean, we can talk key matchups, whatever you want. How do you see this one? Michael Carrick, Mikel Arteta, United Arsenal. Yeah, I will say just based on current form to kind of continue the stats theme to to get the break or after the break going. Uh, I think you mentioned it. One defeat in the past 10 matches for Arsenal. So that was against Liverpool. All right. Liverpool is playing pretty well. You'll take it. Whereas United won just one of their last eight Premier League games. So in terms of form, Arsenal are the better team coming into this game. They won at Old Trafford last season. It was the first time Arsenal had done that since 2006. Mm. So they kind of got that monkey off of their back in some capacity. And, and that, that was a win that made it uh, three without a loss at the theater of dreams. And the last time they've won back-to-back -back games at old Trafford was when, do you know, Luis, no. when was the last time they won back-to-back -back games at old Trafford? In the, the last, was it the Invincibles year? 1979. Oh my God, even, even I know, before. I know. So this is actually a big opportunity because for, for Arsenal in particular, because they have a five-point gap over Man United. And if they can yep. win that and make it eight, that is a great sign for them, of course. 
and I think it shows intent that they really do want to push into the top four and they have the belief that they can do it. And we already know they have the talent, just a matter of whether they can make that happen consistently. Whereas Man United, if they win this game, they cut that gap to two. And it feels like such a must-win game for Manchester United, which makes me wonder, are you going to sit Cristiano Ronaldo for the second <laughs> consecutive game? No in a must, and, and, and Sure, away from Chelsea, away to Sam, at Chelsea, whatever, Stanford Bridge, even though you're unbeaten against them in, in six, and, and you really feel like Cristiano Ronaldo is built for the biggest games. The fact that he didn't start is still a bit surprising. Okay, but it happened. You're not going to do it twice. There's no way you're not going to start this, guys. I think Ronaldo yeah. starts up high. This is a must-win game. And, and anything that you have to sacrifice from a high-press ideology that might be coming from Ralph Rangnick, you're going to have to make up for it in other areas because Ronaldo can win you games. He didn't come over to, to sit on the bench. He came over to play. And, I mean, and exactly. That's why, that's why you bring him. I still stand by the fact that it was a mistake, but he's here. You got you to start him. By the way, that United draw against Chelsea, I mean, commendable, right? Chelsea, very good. But the stats show that Chelsea really should have been on top 24 shots, Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You might just <laughs> United three. All right. No, the it's, it's, was, it's just the, the imbalance is clear. So if Mikel Arteta gets it right, you would think that Arsenal would continue. But to your point, you know, United really need this. They need this big time well, uh, what, with what, Ragnick or not. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, you, you make a great point. What I'll say is for, for United fans moving forward, I think you saw what the future is going to look like in the first five or 10 minutes of that game with yeah. a high press Chelsea as probably the, the, the most high pressing they've done all season. So the fact that Michael Carrick said that Rangnick had no influence on his, I was like, whatever, dude, that's exactly how Rangnick plays. So, yeah, and, so and, and you know that you're keeping your job. So you want to just meet, please. Of course. The, the, of course. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like that's okay. Like, okay, great. Oh, you tried it. Yeah, and yeah. it worked for five or 10 minutes and, and Chelsea were under it. And they were, I think we were a bit surprised that, that United decided to, to high press and, and make them uncomfortable. I think that's the future for United. How long it takes them to get there and to be a well-oiled machine, that's yet to be determined. But that's a little glimpse. Can they do it with Ronaldo? I think they can for five or ten minutes, but then it's going to get a little looser and they have to figure out what that next iteration, that next phase of their high pressing is once Ronaldo maybe isn't as involved in that. You can still defend with 10, but it looks a little bit different. So I think they're going to have to figure out where and when they try to win the ball and do they try to force it wide, force it in the middle, whatever. What I actually like about this Arsenal team is I think they're pretty good against teams that press, but don't press really well. And I think United's going to fall into that category. And they have players that that can play out of those situations, especially if they can get it into that midfield three, the younger players of Smith Rowe and 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 Saka who who catch things on the half turn and like to break the lines with some running. I think that could cause a lot of problems for United. Another thing I think we need to talk about is the formation for United. Maguire's back and he's eligible. You yeah. have Alex Tellis. Uh, is that a Chelsea. good thing? Mary, I, I, don't, I don't know. No, I don't no know. Ralph, no Rafael Varane as well. He's not going to be. Paul Pogba is too uh, early for him. Anderson Cavani too early for him as mm -hmm. well. So, you know, uh, Donny van de Beek obviously can get another moment here. But I don't know. What do you think? Back to Maguire, though. It's not going to help him too much. I mean, I haven't seen enough for me to be completely convinced. Uh, Rafael Varane's absence, as I mentioned in HQ, is massive. Mm-hmm. He, he's a, 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 a you know a, a key point and when you look on the other side where Aubameyang can drift wide allowing players like Saka Emil Smith Rowe by the way mm -hmm. could be an absolute nightmare is a key so you know what are the key matchups that you're thinking of here if you're looking at this game 
Oh, that's that's a great question. I mean, I actually think it starts with the formation. I get the sense that they potentially could go because Luke Shaw's out and Telus does a yeah, little bit Luke better. I think on awesome. the attack attacking side of things, I think Alex Telus thinks a little bit more attacking wise. You might see something similar to how they set up against Spurs, which is three center backs and two wing backs. So you could have because I actually thought Baye and Lindelof were pretty solid against Chelsea, all things considered. So Maguire, Lindelof, Baye, like all in three. I think all three. Then you're going to have your McSauce, McFred double pivot of McTominay, who I thought was pretty good, and and Fred was pretty solid as well against Chelsea. But but I think those players are good. The the four that I mentioned, that that block of four of the two center backs and the two holding midfielders, because they sat back and absorbed a lot of pressure. So they kind of played to their strengths where they're making plays, they're making heroic things. They don't necessarily have to make the game. And I feel like at some point, the modern center back at least, has to be able to be somewhat of a deep line playmaker. I don't think Lindelof and Bailly have that in their bag. At times, McTominay and Fred can run with the ball and, and make some stuff happen. They you know, shoot from distance, whatever. But but they still don't really fit the mold for me in what I'm thinking about, like a, a modern-day CDM. That said, you have Telus. Juan Basaka, that's another player. If you're going to put him out as a wing back, he has to be really good going forward. I question that from Juan Basaka on a consistent matter. Sometimes he does whip in a few dimes, but it's not as consistent as I think they'd like. Which means if you go with that, Back three, and then you have Telus and, and Juan Basaka in the double pivot. You've got a back seven, ultimately, or a back five with the two in front. And you're asking Jaden Sancho, and I think Bruno Fernandes will start, and then Ronaldo will be a pie. You're asking those three guys to try to really try to go make the game. And they've done it at times, but I just feel like Arsenal are a little bit more disciplined on that side of the ball, more than they ever have been in the last couple of years. And, and it's going to be a little bit difficult. That yeah. said... These three players that I mentioned for United, Jaden Sancho can make a goal out of nothing. Bruno Fernandes can make a goal out of nothing. And obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo can make a goal out of nothing. And that has to be taken into consideration. So I do go be a back great to game. your first game. point, though. Some great notes there. I do go back to your first point, which is like Manchester United have to be very good and selective at their pressing. And mm-hmm. so you have to figure out how you, how you do that. And as well, by the way, not forgetting which what you said is the Lokonga-Partey partnership is going to be key here as well, allowing Arsenal to really play their game. It's going to be a good game. Should be a good game. Oh, it's uh, going to be amazing. I can't there wait. I ask you, there I ask you a prediction. <sighs> Man, I've been Mr. Straddle on the fence draw here. I just think there's a lot at stake. I think that Arsenal would be happy with the draw, Man United less so. Not to say that they won't have that urgency. I don't think Arsenal will be going out to play for the draw. I think Arsenal actually catching United at the right time when they're still somewhat vulnerable. They have a new coach, but he's not there yet. They have Carrick, who's still probably buddies with a lot of these guys, still got that Ole Gunner thing. Even though they went down to Spain and got a good result against Villarreal and got a big draw against Chelsea, do they have enough here to go get a result? I think if they do, it's going to be like a 1-0 win on a set piece, and it's a game they don't dominate. I think Arsenal's going to have more of the ball. With regard to the matchups to look out for, I think Bruno Fernandes against Partey or Lukanga is going to be a good one. I'm kind of curious to see where Jaden Sancho sets up. If Ronaldo's really up high, he does have a tendency of drifting off to the left, which gets in the way of Sancho. So I could maybe see Sancho set up on the right side. So him versus Nuno Tavares is a really good matchup. And obviously, Jaden Sancho scored in two straight games. So I think we're going to start to see this hopefully confident Jaden Sancho, right? So there's a lot here. And I I hope Saka's healthy. He hobbled off in the second half against Newcastle with a bit of a forgetting Martinelli, by the way. He scored a great goal as well. I know. And you got Odegaard and Smith Rowe. I mean, they got options. Jimmy, I'm going to throw a draw. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) I think the draw is probably when you go on Caesar Sportsbook. The draw is plus 255. Man United's the favorite at plus 100. Uh, Arsenal to win straight up is plus 265. I, I like the draw as well. I could see a 1-1 here. 
And even though United won't be thrilled with that because it's a big opportunity for them to gain some ground on Arsenal, I just feel like they're not there yet and, and they need to figure out who their best 11 is and that's still yet to be determined. Yet to be determined, but regardless, it's a big, big game for both clubs. Mikel Arteta, Michael Carrick, and of course, uh, Ralph Rannick as he enters the frame this weekend. Before we go, a few questions here. We talked earlier on about some great moments in this fixture. So many uh, classic memories if you're a United or Arsenal fan. If you're neutral, to be perfectly honest, uh, some big games. Do you have a favorite moment, Jimmy Conrad, of, of this particular fixture through the years? That's a good one because there was a stat that I saw that I think from, from 1997 to 2005. Mm. There were seven red cards shown. <laughs> That's right. It, it and was... it was it was really chippy, especially yeah. with Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane. And and there's a, there's one in September 2003, and I remember this game, the Battle of Old Trafford, apparently it's called. And it was there was a fight between Arsenal players uh, and, and United players who felt that Ruud van Nistelrooy had cheated to get Patrick Vieira sent off. If people yep. remember that one. Yep. Um, so so and then and then a season later, Manchester United ended the invincible run. Yeah. And it was a bit controversial, which led to more, you know, of a fracas in, in the tunnel. So that one stands out. I, what's interesting is that our producer, Des, and I love this point about how maybe that the end of the era of, of these two teams was the, the movement of Robin Van Persie from Arsenal to, to United. And then when he won the title with United, it's like, all right, this, I guess this rivalry is dead now. This isn't even any fun anymore. But there's one game, if you remember, and because I'm wearing a United kit, just for just I'm trying to help pump them up a little bit. Maybe I should be pumping up Arsenal because they've been suffering for a while too. But the Manchester United won eight to two in August 28, 2011. That eight to two game at Old Trafford was something special. Wayne Rooney had a hat trick. There were five other different goal scores. It was just crazy, crazy game. I don't think we're going to see anything like that. But I wouldn't mind seeing some goals in this one. I just feel like it's going to be a little bit tight. How about you though, Luis? There's so many uh, games to choose from. I'm kind of curious who you're going with. I feel really bad because I'm also opting for a United win game. But I do re remember Arsenal fans that uh, won nothing with Thierry Henry scoring the winner. That was a good game for Is your Is that boy. the one where that, he popped it up and then volleyed yeah. it in? Yeah. Dude, that might yeah. be the best goal in Premier League history. So I'm yeah, I mean, that it's what made him the greatest Premier League player ever, I think. Thierry Henry. So good. Absolutely. So good. Uh, listen, I, I'm nostalgic. Uh, 1999 was a very special year for me. My last year of high school, I was in England. And I remember it so well, just watching all these amazing matches and, you know, just playing, you know, you, you couldn't do anything but salute what Manchester United did, did that year, winning the FA Cup, the Premier League and the Champions League. So I got to go to the FA Cup, the semi-final uh, of the FA Cup. Manchester United won 2-1. Uh, David Beckham scored first and then, and then uh, Dennis Bergkamp actually scored in the 69th minute. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, very late towards the game, Bergkamp, you know, took a penalty and Peter Schmeichel, our own, yes, yes, Des. I'm not gonna, I wasn't gonna say it. The game was at Villa Park, which is why I was saying <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, uh, Schmeichel saved Burkham's penalty, which prompted to what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode Ryan Giggs to show his, uh, his uh, 1970s uh, anchorman chest hair, but scoring a ridiculous solo okay. goal, which made it 2 1. And the teams, and the, both of them, by the way, Freddie Lundberg, Ray Parler. Vieira, Nelka, Burkamp, and on the other side, I mean, Dwight York was on the bench for crying out loud. I mean, they were yeah, saving. That still seems ridiculous. I mean, I think that's another thing too. When you look back at those teams, they're just so much better than the teams that have been put together 
Yeah, look now. at us now, Napsi, showing up if you're watching it on YouTube. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And it's it, it, it's it's just a staple of what the Premier League represented and how, how big Manchester United was. But it was another example of how good both these games was. And what you said, Jimmy, about how actually Sir Alex and Arsene Wenger had so many tiffs. And that was a, a very good example. But that's it. That I, is... Uh, yeah, I, go ahead. You want, no, I want to bring up... I, I, I remember a little bit more about that game that snapped the Invincible mm. run. And is when Ruud van Nistelrooy dove to get a penalty and then Wayne Rooney scored late. And all the players were ridiculing and Arsene Wenger were ridiculing Ruud van Nistelrooy for being a cheat and that he dove. And there was yeah. a fight in the tunnel. And that's when Cesc Fabregas, Sir Alex Ferguson, came out. And that's when he threw a piece of pizza and it hit Sir Alex Ferguson in the Pizzagate. face. Pizzagate, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's unbelievable. 17-year-old Cesc Fabregas. Look at the cojones on that guy whipping a piece of pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson's face. What just, flavor you pizza You can't, you can't make it? this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. What flavor pizza was it? That's the quick question. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, yeah let us know. Okay, well, that's all. I think it was pepperoni because that yeah. adds more. <laughs> but that's it. Manchester United, Arsenal, 315 Eastern uh, on Thursday. This has been so fun to go down memory lane and, of course, look about the present and the future of both clubs. Jimmy Conrad, thank you so much, brother. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? No, this is going to be a great game. I'm excited that we actually got to focus on one and really dive in not only to the history, but to maybe some more of the, I'll say advanced tactics, but like kind of the, the nuances and subtleties of the game that really make me geek out about it. So I appreciate the invite to be on. No, 100%. Hopefully we'll do some more. But uh, LME over here, Jimmy Conrad, Diego Lasso, thank you so much for being part of the family. Jimmy, thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod, YouTube.com forward slash Kegolasso, CBS Sports, CBS Sports app, and of course, anywhere you listen to your pods and make sure to watch it on YouTube. Have a great, great rest of your week. Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.